morning and welcome. Uh, I was, I was going to do something from their treat. I was going to get all like Pastor Isaac, he is a mighty God on you guys. But uh, yeah, if you didn't go to the retreat, you missed it. So that's uh, like a really powerful moment right there that sorry. Next year, you should go to the retreat. The youth group is not excused. They're staying with us today. Ha ha. We're glad to have you. What a blessing. And so uh, oh, if you want to get a little of that flavor, there was some fantastic flavor at the retreat. Uh, we met with this uh, a church that has its roots in uh, Nigeria and Africa, and they invited us to a rally. They continued to invite us. He emailed a couple times this week. And um, so that, that's actually, it'll be on a Sunday at 3 o'clock all the way over uh, where, by Sherman Oaks area if you're interested. Uh, I'll actually bring some information on it. It was that oddly powerful. It was a really cool time. And so if you're interested in like, could I really go to that kind of thing? Uh, I'm going to bring some information on that. I'd also want to let you guys know that uh, our uh, missionary, Tommy King, sent a, uh, sent a letter, uh, update letter about his ministry. Uh, and so um, we don't uh, send that out digitally because of the sensitivity of where he's serving. Uh, so if you'd like to see this letter, there's a, a few hard copies right on the welcome desk. And if you have any questions about anything, you can always go to the, the, the welcome center right outside of, in the lobby there. And so if you'd like to check those out, we have those. There's a bunch of copies of those, so, so, so check it out. When uh, a, a few years ago, like I was at the dry cleaner, and uh, you know, you could, I don't know why dry cleaners, they really have only space. It's probably like smaller than this, right? Dry cleaner has like the smallest front space of any store that you could ever go into. And I went into the dry cleaner like a couple of years, maybe not, not a couple, even more than a couple of years ago. I went to the dry cleaner, and, and you know, you walk in there, there's not very much space, and so you look around kind of who's in there. And I walk in. And there's this enormous uh, black guy in the hashtag no racism, but I'm just saying, like, this huge black guy, and, and I had just been coming from uh, actually a, a VBS, and so um, I was wearing a Jesus Kids Totally His shirt, something like that, and it was like in neon pink and like with a rainbow, like all craziness, right? And there's this huge guy I noticed because like he took up half the dry cleaner space when I came in, so I was, there's only like a little bit of space for me to pay, and and I'm sitting there trying to not, like, notice, but, you know, I noticed. And, and then the, the person actually speaks to me. So I'm, like, standing there kind of waiting for my stuff to, you know, slow, coming around the, the shirt. It's like, hurry up shirt, you know. Um, and he's like, hey. I was like, oh, please don't be talking to me, you know. <laughs> so I was like, hey. And he's like, what are you, one of them Christians or something? And I was like, oh, no, like, really? Like, so I, I thought to myself, like, man, I'm going to die. If I, like, what am I... And I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. I was at a VBS, you know, vacation Bible school. <laughs> Don't kill me. And uh, he's like, oh, just kidding, man. I'm a Christian, too. And I was like, oh, phew. I was like so, so stoked because I decided to stand up in that minute, and uh, I didn't die for it. And, uh, uh, but I had a, a genuine choice. I, I almost said, like, no, you know, like, no. Nah, I, I found this at the, you know, it's my paint shirt or, like, some excuse to not stand up. But... Uh, but I, uh, I did. I said it was Jesus' kids totally his, and uh, I didn't get beat up, so that was really cool. Today we're going to begin a, a series with one of my favorite persons in, in the Bible. His name is Daniel, who all his life he took this idea of standing up seriously. It's like, I just had to do it at a dry cleaner like once. That's not even often in my life. And Well, I, I totally could have died if that guy fought me, but, but probably I wouldn't, you know. But this guy, Daniel, all sorts of craziness happened to him, and he stood up for God his whole life. Daniel's my favorite because there's not like, most of our Bible heroes like Moses and Abraham and those guys, they have a lot of serious flaws. Like, they murder people, and they lie about their wife not being their wife, like this crazy kind of stuff. But Daniel, 
He seems legit through and through. And so he's one of my favorite people. And so the next four weeks, we're going to look at, uh, it's going to come from the book of Daniel. And we're going to look at a couple of parts of his life. Starting, we're going to see him young. We're going to see him medium. We're going to see him old. We're going to see him with his friends, like who his friends are, this kind of stuff. And, and so we're going to check him out in the next four weeks in this series titled Stand Up. We're going to uh, look today in Daniel chapter 1. Our verses will be on the board. We're using NIV today. Um, if you'd like to follow along in your Bible app or your Bible, that's cool too. Or, or they'll be on the board. And Daniel says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, uh, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into, into his hand, along with some of the articles from God's temple. Uh, these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. And he put the treasures of uh, treasure house of uh, and he put in the treasure house of his God. So this happens actually in 605 BC, so like a really long time ago. Nebuchadnezzar actually is marching south not to attack the uh, Israelites because they're a really small nation at the time, but the Israelites are in line. Uh, they have an allegiance with Egypt, and Egypt attacked Babylon, and so Babylon was going down to to attack the Egyptians. And on their way, they're like, oh, look, Jerusalem, smash. And then they kept going. So uh, this is part of their uh, conquest of Jerusalem, but as they're really going to fight the Egyptians. And that happens in 605 BC. Um, in addition to finding this in the book of Daniel, this is for uh, this is uh, my nod to our guest pastor, Tim Malosh, is like this history buff. And so here's a nod to him. In addition to the book of Daniel, this conquest is actually documented in uh, what's called the Babylonian Chronicles. And this is a, a series of stone tablets, tablets that's housed in the British Museum. And these stone tablets are from about 550 B.C. So they're written only about 50 or 100 years after, after Daniel uh, is claiming this. And so the Babylonian Chronicles actually tell of the Babylonian army going south and then conquering Jerusalem as well. In case you thought that the Bible was maybe just just allegory or fiction or something like that. But this is a rather historical narrative. And so uh, we, we see this happening. Now, on his way down, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dad dies. So he's only in charge, sort of, because his dad's still alive. Until this point, his dad dies. And he has to rush back uh, to the capital of Babylon to secure his succession. So he rushes back. He actually travels an enormous amount of distance in a very short time. Re-establish, make sure his throne is established. And then he's going to come south again 10 years later. And kick Jerusalem's booty again, and then he comes 10 years after that just to make sure they know who's boss. And uh, so um, this is the destruction of Israel right here in this verse. So this is the the last time for a long time that they were a nation. And God said he was going to bring punishment on Israel because they were not willing to obey him. And so this is why God allowed it to happen. His people had turned from him. Whenever they stood with God, they stood powerfully. Whenever they stepped away from God, they were crushed. And this is, this is God punishing them for their unfaithfulness. Now, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was known as a, he's a pretty bad dude. And he orders, uh, he orders Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family of, Israelite royal family and some of the nobility. Young men with, who are without physical defect they're handsome, they're showing aptitude in every kind of learning, they're well-informed, they're quick to understand, they're qualified to serve in the kings of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained three years, and after that they were entered into the king's service. 
So Nebuchadnezzar not only confiscated in the verse section we saw before this, gold items and treasure items out of their temple, but Nebuchadnezzar confiscated the most precious thing to the people. And we will tell you, people can steal all of our equipment, but if they stole one of our kids, that's a problem, right? You can take anything out of this church, but our kids are our most precious commodity. And Nebuchadnezzar knows this, so he grabs them and he says, I'm going to take the best that you have, the brightest, your, your greatest kids, and I'm going to hold them and I'm going to make them serve me. Here we're talking about people between the ages of 13 and 17 that he grabbed and dragged down as slaves. So this is Daniel. This is who he was. See, he's one of these people that are chosen. So you've got to look at what was he before he becomes this Daniel, the Bible, the slave uh, in Babylon. Here's his pedigree. In order to get chosen, chosen mean taken as a slave, you had to be handsome. You had to be smart. You had to be noble, which means you were rich. So Daniel is handsome and rich and smart and learns quick and has great aptitude. He's like a fantastic person. His life couldn't be going any better, right? Now, I don't know about you, but we have maybe one or two of those categories. I've got handsome, but I don't have rich, right? I don't have a noble, but, but I'm, I'm okay with just handsome. That's okay. He's got, he's got the complete package. He's like, some of our teens, I look at them, I'm like, maybe they're really close. I know we don't have any nobility, but they have like, they're smart, they're handsome, they're nice. They're like, our teens at this church are pretty fantastic. I, I think they look a lot like this, minus the nobility part. So what if you're also noble? Like, oh my gosh, this is Daniel. And he doesn't choose to go. He's not going out on a retreat. His people were just destroyed militarily. They probably killed many of their parents because they're not going to leave the nobles alive to rule and uprise. And then they drag him off to slavery. Nebuchadnezzar, he's pretty shrewd as well as ruthless. Um, he takes these young men as hostage to remind them not to rebel. Say, Israel, you know what I can do to you? I can take your most important people and watch what I'm going to do. I'm going to make them serve me and love me and follow me. And so he's pretty ruthless. We have uh, other incidents about uh, Nebuchadnezzar. One time he, he takes this king and he has his sons go before him. And then he murders the sons right in front of the kings, and he gouges out the king's eyes. So the last thing he saw was the killing of his sons. And that's pretty messed up. That's not even like, oh, good conqueror. Like, that's like messed up conqueror, right? When, he, he's notorious for roasting people over the open fire. Not like chestnuts, but like human beings, right? He roasts them uh, to death. And we see this in the Bible. We see it in Jeremiah 39 and Jeremiah 29 where he's killing some of the Israelite kings in this manner. So this guy's ruthless. Daniel is not going anywhere but a horrible, horrible place. A people that are the antithesis of what God calls his people to be. And this is Daniel's life. So among those people that are chosen from Judah, they're Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official, they, he gives them new names. To Daniel, he calls them Belshazzar. Hananiah calls him Shadrach, and Mishael calls him Meshach, and Azariah calls him Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food or wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. So Daniel mentions these four youths, and I think it's, it's sort of really important. Now, now, when we read their names and their name was changed, it like, means nothing to us because we don't speak uh, either of these languages, the one that they were had before and the one they were translated to. So let me tell you what their names mean. 
that the Babylonians are purposeful in switching their names. Every single name switch is a mockery of God and an attempt to bring them to this false idol worship. Every one of these guys are renamed after Babylonian gods. Babylonians believed in multiple gods. And so Daniel's name means uh, God is my judge. That's what Daniel means. And his name was changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal, one of the Babylonian gods. Baal is my protector. So instead of God being his judge, his name's I trust her, I'm protected by Baal. Hananiah, Hananiah's got a cool name. He means, his name means Yahweh has been gracious to me. Yahweh is the official name of God for the Jews. Man, what a cool name. His name is Yahweh is good. Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is kind and amazing. And his name was uh, switched to Shadrach, which means illuminated by the sun god. So it's no longer your god that's amazing. It's this false sun god who's illuminating you. Mishael, another cool name. I don't know if you can name your son that, but it's a pretty cool name, Mishael. Who is as God? So this kid's like, man, his parents name him. He acts just like God. He's like the righteous kid in the group, you know? He's like, man, this kid is just as God is. His, cha- his name was changed to who is like Venus. The, they, they named a god after a planet. Yes, the planet Venus was still in existence back then. And Azariah, his name means Yahweh is my help. And his name is changed to Abednego, servant or helper of the god Nego. So this is a clear and purposeful attempt to acculturate them, to draw them away from God, to sort of give you the metaphorical middle finger towards God of the Bible by changing their names to all be after these false gods. So I think about Daniel, and I think about, like, talk about losing a lot, right? He loses his name. He loses his family. He, he loses his status. He lost all his money. He lost his freedom. I mean, Daniel was in that category of people whose life was amazing at the time. Like, his life was amazing. I don't know if it could have gotten any better, and I don't know if the thing that he has now could get any worse. He's lost something. I mean, talk about a huge loss in life. Daniel is a person who is lost. And I'll tell you, loss very often can drive people from God. Dealing with loss is one of the keys of living a successful life. Like when you experience loss, its, its effects, they're, they're really barely ever spiritually neutral. Almost always, when some loss comes into your life, whether it's a loss of a job or a, or a, a family member or something like that, it is, is never spiritually neutral. And I don't say never, but almost always is never spiritually neutral. It will always cause people to either powerfully be driven towards God, where they say, God, I lost this and I just need you. Or it will powerfully drive them away from God, where they say, why would you do this? There is no such thing as a God. And they walk away from God because of loss. It'll either drive them powerfully towards connections with people. Man, I need you guys to pray for me. I need you to help me. Or it'll drive them powerfully away from people. Get away from me. I just want to be alone. It'll either drive them powerfully towards their spouse. Baby, let's pray over this together. Or it'll drive them away. I don't want you to be anywhere near me. See, loss is, is never spiritually neutral. And so we've got to be extremely careful when we experience any loss or we have friends that are experienced loss. 
that we make sure to pray for them, and then, and then we figure out what are we going to do. How are we going to deal with this loss? When, when I was eight, uh, my three-year-old brother died from cancer, and it absolutely drove my father away from God. At that point, he was a seeker, probably. I would say that he was, he was sort of trying to find God. He had been to church and didn't, wasn't opposed to church or wasn't opposed to God. And when this happened, it, it sort of changed something in my father so that he said, you know what, forget that. I'm not interested in you, God. I don't like you, God. I don't believe in you, and I, yet I still hate you, which is really weird because how can you hate someone you don't believe in, right? And so the, it, it powerfully pushed my, this loss pushed my father away from God. It ultimately pushed him away from, two years later, he was divorced, separated him from his family. And so that was a defining moment in his life, this loss. And not only did it bring consequences in his life, it brought consequences in my life, in the life of my, my brothers and sisters and our whole family. And so we've got to be really careful when we see any loss in life because that's this, this really important moment that as a Christian community, we need to be around them. We need to love people. We need to, we need to be the bridge if we can be the bridge. We need to help, help turn people towards God rather than powerfully away from him. So Daniel and his friends, they experienced loss. But look how they respond to the loss. I mean, they lost a lot. They lost more than I can even imagine losing. What a crazy upheaval for these young men, right? I mean, they're just teenagers. If you know anything about teenagers, that's already a tough age. Like, teenage stuff, it's tough. And yet they get all this other thing on top of it, all this other craziness, all this other bad stuff happens. There's all sorts of craziness. Like, teenagers, they're defiant, right? They're, they make poor life choices. They, they think they know everything. They have a lack of wisdom. They sometimes don't seem that interested in God. And yet, look how these teenagers respond. They say, I'm going to resolve to follow God, even in this situation. So our, you and I, our response to difficult times, since teenagers are not that wise, don't always make good decisions, like we say like this about our teenagers, Right? So our decisions as wise adults, they better be at least as godly and moral as Daniel and his friend's decision was. Because if we're going to say like, oh, they're not that good at this, mine better be better. My response better be to loss, better be better than even Daniel's response to loss because he's just a dumb teenager, right? What does he know? He knows God and he knows a lot. And so that's sort of like a gut punch to me, you know, like is my response as this like godly adult person, is that when I experience loss, is it anything like Daniel's? Who's this like, hey guys, teenager, you know? No, probably not that much because he was handsome, right? So I don't know whether you like acne or not, I don't know. Maybe that's your thing, so he's still handsome. So this is their response. What was Daniel's response? Daniel resolved not to defile himself. I mean, this is a key. Like, he made an internal decision. He said, you know what? I'm going to stand up for God. He decided it and he stuck to it. He set his mind on it and he resolved. Despite his circumstances, despite his loss, despite all that had been torn from him, despite the desperateness of his situation, you know what he says? In the middle of all this garbage, I'm going to stand up. In the middle of all this loss, I'm going to stand up. Despite everything that had happened to him, he made this decision to stand up. And he made it over ceremonial food, which God had told the Israelites not to eat. His big stand is about uh, some samgyeopsal, some, some Korean barbecue. That's his big stand in life, right? You know what? You know what I'm making my stand? 
on this pork, not doing it. Really? That's your big stand, Daniel. Something that small as food? Like, okay, so he eats the food. Who would know that he ate the food? No, but there's like just slaves next to him. It's like his, the dudes that were all taken captive, who would know that he ate some food that he wasn't supposed to eat? Who would care at this point in his life? Who would care if he ate some pork? Right? Hadn't the guy lost enough? All give him a break. Can he have like a? Can he have some bacon? Like give them like. Can anyone blame Daniel if he took the hand that was dealt with him and just went with it? Especially after he suffered, like all that he suffered, you can't blame him, right? There's two false ideas in this line of thinking. The first is that that suffering gives us the right to do what we want. But this is a false idea. Suffering does not give you the right or the leeway to disobey God no matter what. Suffering isn't a green light to go ahead and go against God. But sometimes we think that it is, right? Something bad happens in your life. And you know, it's really bad. You know what? I'm just going to go get drunk because I want to forget this stuff or I'm going to go get higher. I'm going to go do whatever you're going to do that, that is something sinful. Now, we're not saying having a drink at dinner because, again, our church is fully for that. Go ahead if you're 21 or over. But I'm saying if you're trying to escape your problems, you say, I'm going to go get drunk to escape these problems. Suffering does not give us the right to disobey God. Man, I'm so broke, so I'm just going to steal this stuff. Suffering does not give you the right to go against God. And the second faulty idea here is that there's no such thing as a small disobedience to God. I mean, it's just, a, it's just some bacon, right? Like, who would care? Who would know? But there's no such thing as a small disobedience to God. Often, like, we rationalize our disobedience. Anyone else rationalize their disobedience or their sin as something like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Like, no one's going to notice. It's okay. No one's going to get hurt by it. Like, does it really, like, no one's really going to know that I, I didn't claim that, that, that the cash that I earned from my taxes. The IRS can't possibly find out about that, right? That I just don't claim it. I know I'm supposed to, but I'm just not going to. And we rationalize this small disobedience because it's so small and nobody will notice. It's not that big of a deal. No one notices. No one's hurt by it. But this is wrong. At minimum, God notices and you're hurt by it. So always someone notices and someone's hurt by it. And so this is faulty logic. Suffering or, or, or trouble in life is never an excuse to sin. And there's no such thing as like a little one that, that nobody notices. God always notices. There's no such thing as a sin that doesn't hurt someone because all sin hurts you and you're someone. So the only way then we find to stand up with God is to be faithful in all the little things, just like Daniel was. To be faithful in the little moments of life. Christian character is developed and demonstrated by a hundred decisions that we make every single day. A hundred of right choices that we say, you know what, I'm going to follow you, God, in this one. I know it may be easier to go this way, but I'm going to follow you, God, this way. I know that maybe I could make a little bit more money if I do it this way, but God, I'm going to stand righteously and go this way with you. I'm going to stand up for you in all the little things. That's why it's important not to cheat on our taxes or, or maintain like a little lie to our spouse or to just like fudge the numbers so I look a little bit better at work, even though maybe I could get promoted or maybe I could make some more money. It's important not to do those things. 
following God with honesty and integrity. I mean, Daniel just does that. And when, when we look at his request, not only does he do it, but he does it uh, for the sake of God, and he makes that known. So he says, hey, I'm not going to do this because I don't want to defile myself. So he's got to explain, like, the Babylonians like, what do you mean defile yourself? So Daniel must have to explain, well, God tells me not to do this, and so I'm going to honor God even though, like, there could be consequences to this thing. And so Daniel explains, he has to, has to have explained this spiritual. Now, the, the Bible doesn't record, then Daniel said, this is why I'm doing this, but, but because in the text he says that he's not willing to defile himself, and he's speaking this to, the, to Ashpenaz, then, like, then we can see that he's explained the purpose for following this small little rule was not to dishonor God. It's a spiritual basis for his objection. Like, Daniel's not just trying to protest, you know, He's not trying to fight the power. He's not trying to say, like, I'm not going to support you, government. He's not even saying that. What he's saying is, I want to honor God, and that's it. And can I find room to honor God and still be part of, of doing the things that you're asking me to do as a slave? And so his obje- objection is clear that it's for a God purpose, even in front of non-believers. So as we stand for God, like we need to make it clear that... that we're standing for God not because we don't like our work or not because we're better than people or not because like, we think we're more important or anything like that, but we stand for God because he asks us to. We're just standing to honor him. And we've got to make that point even to the non-believers. If, maybe you work with some, whether it's in the secular society or at school or wherever it is that we make that point that we're going to honor God in the things we do because of God, not because of some protest or something else. Like I have a friend named Jason Song. He's like, he, he works in this company, and he's a really amazing worker and a super kind guy. And uh, his non-believing boss, like, noticed this, you know, after many years in the company. And it, the non-believing boss said, like, I know you're a Christian. I'm going to ask you a question. I know you're a Christian stuff, so I don't want any of that spiritual answer stuff, but, but I want you to answer me for real. <laughs> and he said, why, why are you such a kind person to everybody? Why, are you, um, why do you do your job with such a diligence that I don't ever need to worry about the integrity of your numbers? So he's asking my friend Jason, but he said, but don't give me any of that spiritual stuff because you know, I don't want any of that part. What's the real reason? And Jason was like, well, the real reason, okay, I, I guess I'll be real with you. The real reason is because Jesus is in my life and I love him. The guy's like, ah, <laughs> stop saying that. He's like, but it's true. Now his boss is still isn't a believer, but Jason continues to witness to him by the quality of his work, by his willingness to stand up for God in the little things. And his non-Christian boss knows he's a Christian. And, and, uh, and Jason tells him, I work so well because I'm a Christian. And so this is a fantastic example of that in our real lives. So we too need to copy Daniel and, and our, my, my friend Jason. So the text continues. So Daniel's done something. He stood up. Now God's going to do something. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, like, I'm afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. That guy's psycho, right? Uh, he's assigned you food and drink. Uh, and if you come looking all scraggly, then I'm going to get killed. So he said, like, if you look worse than other young men, the king, he'd have my head. Like, literally, he'll chop my head off. And it ain't worth it for you. And Daniel's like, hey, come on, man. You know, said to the guard, uh, he says, Look, just, just test us for 10 days. Like, how, we can't get that scraggly in 10 days, right? So just test us for 10 days. Like, don't give us anything but vegetables and water. That's it. All the other stuff you can keep. And then compare appearance with that of the young men. 
who ate all the royal food and that stuff. And, and then at that point, treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Just, let's just give it a test, man. We're going to stand up for God. And maybe if they look scraggly, they get killed. But Daniel's hoping that God comes through, right? <laughs> he, uh, he goes, uh, so he agrees to this, test him for 10 days. So Daniel made his decision to stand up. And then we see God move. Daniel's faith prompted God's response. God didn't abandon those persons who stood up for him. God stood along with them. Daniel entrusted himself to God, and God came through. When you and I stand up in faith to obey God in the face of secular society, in the face of our work, in the face of our school, in front of our friends, you won't stand alone. God will stand with you. At the end of 10 days, they look healthier, and they look better nourished than any of the guys who are eating the royal food. So the guard said, fine, you don't have to have that food. He takes it away all the food and the wine that they were supposed to drink, and he just gives them vegetables and water instead. Like, it worked. So he continues with this, and God continues to bless them. Look what God does next. To these four young men, God gave. So we said God moved the heart of this person. Now God gives knowledge and understanding of all the kinds of literature and learning. They're hitting the books, and boom, God has given it uh, to them, all sorts of understanding. Daniel could interpret and understand dreams and visions of all kinds. At the end of the time, three years, set by the king to bring him into service, the chief official presents him to Nebuchadnezzar. He, he talks with him, he tests them, and none were found equal to Daniel and his friends. So they enter the king's service. Every matter of wisdom, understanding, which the king questioned them, found him ten times better than any of his other wise persons. So magicians and enchanters are like, we would call them wise men. Same as with like, in the New Testament, when the wise men come, same, same type of people, the, the learned ones in the, in the king's presence. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So you say, oh, whatever. But King Cyrus is, is four kingdoms away. Daniel outlives the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes, and the Persians. Daniel serves as a slave for all four of those kingdoms. Like He outlives three entire kingdoms in service. And that he's so great that the... the the kingdom gets crushed, and they're like, oh, who's this guy? Oh, he's fantastic. We'll keep him. And then that kingdom gets crushed, and they're like, oh, wait, who's that guy? Oh, we're keeping that guy. Each time, because Daniel is so blessed by God as he stands up. The special abilities of Daniel and his friends did not come from their hard work. It did not become because they were better than everyone, not due to their diet nor their natural ability. The Bible is clear that God gives them the ability to understand these things. It is a special intervention by the Lord. These guys were immersed in the study of Babylonian literature, Babylonian culture, religion. They were renamed, and yet they stay faithful to God. They were in Babylon, but they were not of Babylon. I stole that phrase from someone. I didn't make that one up. But I thought it sounded really cool. Like, they were, in the, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. That's exactly what they were. Daniel and his friends show us that inner conviction can overcome any outer pressures. And that God-honoring convictions yield God-given rewards. So maybe you, you had a difficult childhood. Maybe that's true. But that can't be an excuse to not stand up. Maybe you're in a currently difficult situation in your life, whether it's at work or family or friends or whatever. In the middle of that, still stand up. Maybe you've lost a lot. That's not an excuse to not stand up. Maybe standing up could risk your personal health, like it, it could, you, could risk your status, it could 
risk your bottom line. It could risk your place among your friends or in society. Stand up even if it seems like it will prevent you from getting ahead. Standing up may not even be noticed by anyone else. Standing up is counter to the logic of our lives. It doesn't even make sense to stand up over this thing. It's such a small thing. It doesn't make sense to the world's wisdom. God wants you to stand up even if you have nothing to gain, at least from the world's perspective. Stand up in the hundreds of little things. Stand up for God, and he will stand with you. Let me pray for us right now. Father, we just want to come and, and see just a couple of simple things. That here's a young man who stood for you in the small things. And God, I want to pray that right now we would take a minute to make that same decision. Daniel had to resolve in his heart to stand up over the little things. I pray right now for our church that there are men and women here who would resolve in their heart right now to stand up for the little things. Resolve in their heart that that today is the day that, that they decide to walk with integrity and honesty in all parts of their lives, that there are no off limit parts from you, but in every little thing we are going to resolve to stand up for you. In our relationships with people, even if they're difficult, we're going to resolve to love them. In our work, we're going to resolve to work with integrity, even if we're going to lose money. In our families, we're going to resolve to to love them beyond ourselves, even though it's difficult, even though we're tired. In our education, in our studies, we're going to resolve not to cheat, not to take the easy way out, but to stand up in the little things. And every opportunity we have to point to you, we're going to point to you, God. Would you join me in praying whatever you need to pray right now between you and God? Then we're going to respond in song.